Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Bonjour, uh, nous sommes de retour. Keep it. Bienvenue to hell. <laughs> I'm Ira Madison Third. I'm Louis Fertel. Three disturbing things are back, that means. One, Ira's accent. Two, <laughs> Big Brother, which I did watch last night. And also, Charlie Puth. We're getting an album. You know what? I'm not excited about two of those things uh, your accent better be one of them <laughs> uh no i'm excited about the album but this is giving there's been such a weird lead up to this album like the rollout has been giving like Katy perry witness yes giving normani coming up with her album title and then what came next was nothing my favorite was the t- same person tweeting at her each year one year you're sick <laughs> Two years, you're sick. Three years, you're sick. And then four years, you're sick. The spirit of the I know what you did last summer killer. <laughs> hounding this poor girl trying to make an album. Uh, I I don't know what to expect from the album. As I said before, I love Girlfriend. And, I you know, love that song. And it's an eternal summer song. I love listening to it. Uh, it feels like it's new even right now in 2022. But none of the other songs sound like that. Yes, I am concerned. Nonetheless, that he is capable of producing an album the way like you think that dud rooster or whatever can't produce an egg and then finally the egg happens. I'm a farmer. Did I not mention that? (laughs) I'm really excited. Uh, uh, I can't wait to read your almanac. Oh, my God. It's so good. The pictures. Yeah. Me being like, (laughs) oh, the harvest. I hate it, girl. Uh, I love a farmer's almanac only because... The wedding I'm going to in two weeks, uh, my two friends, Charlie and Jared, picked out their wedding date using, like, the almanac. What the fuck? Are they Because they wanted haunted? to see if the weather, they wanted to see if the weather was going to be good, like, a year and a half in advance. And as you know, it's 100% accurate when you look it up that way. Also, are they having it in a fucking barn? What's the deal? It's in Oxford. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you know, it's London, cute. L- London is notoriously wishy-washy with his weather. So, you know, but good old Apple tells me it's going to be like 80 degrees. So maybe we should be using farmer's almanacs more. Okay. When I think of almanacs, I think of how beneficial they were in the Back to the Future series. Actually, that's one of the few movies where trivia is an important plot point because he uses the information about when the Cubs win the World Series or whatever to his own advantage in the past. Anyway, I think about that. Kind well, of you thing know, like, my favorite movie where trivia is a major plot point. Mean Girls. I still know what you did last summer. Oh my god! Of course, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the capital of Brazil. <laughs> uh, 
And I'm also not excited about Big Brother being back because, surprise, surprise, <laughs> the house is racist again. Uh, okay, I actually don't know the specifics of this yet because I watched the first two episodes and it was in the first few episodes of Big Brother. Actually, a lot like Drag Race. It doesn't get interesting until like seven people have been eliminated and then there are actual social dynamics between the remaining power players that keep the game moving. But right now you're just constantly being introduced to people and they're nervous around each other. Okay, well, what the show is aggressively bad at live premieres, even though they continue to want to do them. Yes. Because it's just people wandering in. You don't Taking know who they are. Taking their fucking time noticing that there's a bed or whatever's in the house. <laughs> and then Julie Playing being like, go to the backyard. And by the way, right. it takes them minutes. Yeah. And I don't want to watch someone I've known for 30 seconds play a competition there's no stakes there no i love like let us let the people move in give us confessionals like let us know who the fuck these people are first right maybe give them like a secret they have to keep or something but if you're just like literally choreographing that they take a long walk to the backyard where they then stand there which happened in the premiere I don't know what I'm supposed to be looking at it took 40 minutes for them to stand in place to be like pieces on a chessboard (laughs) Uh, so there's this beautiful like black girl in there, Taylor, um, who's she I, is, like she's literally gorgeous. in a pageant. She's like a pageant contestant, right? She's astoundingly yes. um, stunning. And people have chimed in online, like who know her, like she's like one of the sweetest people, uh, etc. Um, basically, what happened is these two, um, you know, flotsam and jetsams in the house, like yeah. Paloma and Alyssa. Uh, I think those are their names. Um, have decided they don't like her, like mostly on mean girl behavior. Um, but then that rippled into microaggressions from other people in the house. Mm. Um, and it became things where it's like, we need to backdoor her um, because otherwise she's going to blow up and be angry and show her true colors. And it's stuff like that where it's like, so you can't hear where yourself. have you gotten this from? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The producers even had to release a statement to say that they um, have talked to the house guests about microaggressions. Wow. I mean, that Big Brother uh, producers are stepping in to say, we have consciences. Things have gotten grim. <laughs> I mean, I sort of remember writing an article about Big Brother years ago at MTV that, that was like, um, Big Brother is sort of the series America deserves. Uh, and it, it really does replicate... Uh, real life interactions and of course the season after the cookout would have this right right uh my friend andy who won big brother about 10 years ago had a tweet where he's saying this season really makes him uh cherish last season which had by the way a lot of dynamic game players which also is it a did problem, which it's also a problem big brother constantly has where they like they cast too many people that they thought looked hot at a bar or something who have no familiarity with the show. And then we watch them on air sort of like shrug emoji their way towards eviction in the fourth week. It's sort of disappointing, especially considering how good this recent season of like Survivor was. Right. Well, uh, and of course, Survivor rarely has this problem because they attract a rabid and um, strategic kind of player no matter what. Whereas here, it's just people who are good at sitting on couches. 
there were like a couple seasons where they were casting just sort of like hot people who like to travel and those were flops but for the most part survivor always gets it right yeah but, um, uh, nonetheless uh, big brother is a is a problem and we've talked about this for now years on the show because it's an addiction that is constantly fed so three times a week it's on your mind and even if you think the season is bad you're still getting a lot of it so I imagine it's what you go through as a soap fan. You know, you're like, oh, I hate all these storylines at the moment, but this is also just the life I live now watching this fucking show. So, yeah, that kind of is what happens. And that, you know, Days of Our Lives, Beyond Salem, where Loretta Devine is on the show now, by the way. And um, she's playing a angel in heaven. Um, I, I don't know why she took this job. But I'm sure Jack A must have been like, girl, it's fun. It's nonsense. Right. Well, I mean, I, I bet Loretta Devine would like to diversify her uh, her Emmy nominations. She's like, I've got whatever, 17 of the regular kind. May as well get a daytime or two. <laughs> um, speaking of reality, Mondays never start like this. Mm-hmm. I just want to point out. But I woke up Monday morning to the news that Jen Shaw from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, as we've discussed on this show before, even you know who she is. Right, yes. Pled guilty for wire fraud and, like, you know, defrauding the elderly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This will lead naturally into a conversation about the wonderful film I Care A Lot, which, you know, maybe maybe was... Is that like our network, the our prescient movie of a generation? (laughs) That movie's gonna... Honestly, given that it was a Netflix movie and a lot of people saw it globally, I would not be shocked if like 20 years from now, there's um, some younger version of this show where um, two hosts are like, you know that movie, I Care A Lot? Iconic. Because <laughs> right now, I actually am shocked. Keep I it remember the, new the class. title. Yes. Wow. Keep it the new class will love I Care A Lot. <laughs> Probably. I don't know who's hosting that show. Um but I don't want to listen to it. No, right. Podcasts are hard for me. Sorry. I can just listen to music. This is, anyway, me, this this is just... me railing against the industry I'm a part of. Go ahead. Anyway, this is just exciting news for me because this bitch has been saying that she's innocent um, for like three seasons. The third season just finished um, where she was also proclaiming her innocence again. Um, and now she just pled guilty, which means that when the season three drops, she's going to be proclaiming her innocence the entire season and then obviously the producers are going to have to flash forward like in the premiere to jen shaw pleads guilty right right oh yeah i don't envy the editors whenever things like this go down (laughs) i guess now jen shaw is at the bottom of our list of great celebrity gens and i believe if i ran vh1 there would be at 100 greatest gens of pop culture that we could uh both do commentary on and i want to say that right now based on the memoir i just received i am really enjoying at number one jennifer gray it's a good memoir okay okay you know what my fave jennifer's um beals Always. Who, by the way, is a notoriously spiky interview. Is she? Yes. Yale's own uh, Jennifer Beals. Uh, I think Flashdance is not good, but I do think she is good. And I thought she was pretty good on the um, L word. Mm, Well, you know what? We'll reveal that in a second. But our guest today is also notoriously a spiky interview. And surprise, she was fucking lovely. I almost wish in a way... We could be doing this part of the uh, podcast 
before we talked to her so that you could hear how intimidated I was immediately. In fact, I was so intimidated. I said to her when we got on the Zoom, I'm intimidated. Uh, which maybe placated her or annoyed her. I don't know. You can never tell with her. But our guest today is fucking Isabel Huppert. <laughs> it's fucking Isabel Huppert. Imagine me getting that email. It's, you're okay. You're Lewis. It's like virtual reality. You're Lewis. You get the email. Would you like to interview Isabel Huppert? You spit. Whatever, whatever's going on in your, in your face, you spit it out. I'm like, it'll never happen. Peace out. Lo and behold, they schedule it. I, uh, we, I I am just so intimidated. She's in this new movie, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, starring Leslie Manville, which is sort of like a, a dignified British Emily in Paris is what the movie is. And uh, uh, is, uh, Isabel, <laughs> what a description. Yes, yeah, right. I mean, it's what it is. Is Leslie Manville the, um, you love to play your game, actress versus star. Yeah. And is Lily Collins the star version of Leslie Manville's actress? Wow. I mean, if that's astrology, I now believe in it because, um, <laughs> no, you're right. Um, I believe I'm a Leslie Manville stuck in a world of Leslie Manns. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, Isabel is the adversary in this movie. We She ends up having a past that sort of explains her behavior. But anyway, that this would be set up. That, like maybe the world's greatest actress, maybe maybe the world's greatest movie star is just with us today. And anyway... That's, of course, why I opened this episode with my accent back. And I promise I show some restraint in talking to her. I only, I you only had some good French questions. Twice. You had, I think yeah. this is some of your best work. Oh, thank you, Lewis. I know. I can't believe To hear a compliment come from me, it sounds all wrong, right? It's like when I smile. It's like Germans aren't supposed to do that. Uh, yes, we're overselling this, uh, but we're also not overselling this because she's a great fucking interview. Yeah. Uh, truly uh, up there in our top five keep it guess ever For, already. Yeah, had a blast with her. And also, I'm correcting my Jennifer to um, Jennifer Esposito. What a notable choice. By the way, uh, bad day for Jennifer Aniston, who did not get an Emmy nomination, but Reese Witherspoon did for The Morning Show. You know what? Reese Witherspoon is just sort of weirdly omnipresent in a way that Jennifer Aniston is not anymore. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I find myself talking about Reese Witherspoon a lot because she's, you know, one of these Jessica Alba brand people, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, so there's this whole other sphere she connects to. Anyway, we'll yeah. get all into all this in the show. Oh, my God. Last question. What's your favorite Jennifer Esposito role? Um, you know what I'm going to go with? A movie I haven't seen since it came out, but Summer of Sam, which was a sensation at the time. And I remember really believing in the future of John Leguizamo. That was a good movie. And, you know, I think it um, it's really sort of underrated in like um, Spike Lee's filmography. Yeah. Totally. And uh, and Mira Sorvino's. And B.B. Newworth. Who, by the way, occasionally will just fave a tweet of yours, which is the whole point of being on Twitter anymore. Like, maybe B.B. Newworth will notice you. Did she fave any of your Leah Michelle tweets? I actually did not tweet about Leah Michelle this week uh, because I felt like the gay community, shall we say, handled it. <laughs> We're going to start our episode because I don't think there's really anything else to say about the fact that Leah Michelle. I guess, um, what is the opposite of running up that hill to make a deal with God? <laughs> Tumbling okay. down that mountain to get with Satan or whatever. Yeah. Does she shuffle down that sewer? <laughs> <laughs> because the fact that this bitch went from obsessive 
Barbara Stan um, in her Glee universe um, and sang like every fucking song from Funny Girl on that show anyway and then had the internet mocking her because Beanie Feldstein ended up playing Fanny Bryce on Broadway instead of her and is now taking over that role from Beanie Feldstein. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Right. It's one of those we're straying from God things or towards God, I don't know, but it is weird. Not only did she get the role, but it feels like there's this new kind of collective oomph behind her. Like, oh, you've you've waited it out. Now you've deserved it. And it's just, you know, it's it's uncomfortable to root for Leah Michelle in this way, given the, you know, alleged way she has treated people she has worked with. But if only she were literate, I would want a self-help <laughs> book. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. And once again, the Emmy nominations are literally rolling in as we are recording our episode. I love when it feels like we're doing breaking news. No, I feel like I'm combing the E! News ticker for the relevant information. I'm like, get past the part where, you know, Reese Witherspoon has turned 47 and get to the Emmy nominations. This must be what Anderson Cooper felt like when he was watching the insurrection. Right. Oh, I everything about us is exactly like him. Have I not said that? Yeah, you know, my insurrection, of course, is any nomination for inventing it. <laughs> anyway, we've got Emmy nominations and, of course, Isabel Huppert coming up on more Keep It. Imani's State of Mind is the newest podcast to Crooked Media. On this show, psychiatrist and TV personality, Dr. Amani Walker and co-host comedian Meg Scoop Thomas normalize the conversation about mental health through insightful and witty discussions about what's happening in news, pop culture, and our daily lives. Get real with your relationship with yourself, your parents, your friends, and so much more. Listen to new episodes of Amani State of Mind each Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Award season looms once again, and since the Television Academy was so kind as to drop nominations in the literal middle of our recording session this morning, Keep It listeners are getting our f- exclusive first reactions in real time. Now, Lewis. Yes. Have you signed up to be an Emmy voter yet? Can you believe it? I haven't. And all I do is serve the television industry with my, you know, with, with my rugged hands and farming equipment. I just reap and sow for them. I joined the Television Academy this year, and I feel like you can, too. No, I think point. I'm almost sure I can. I don't know what's preventing me. Also, I have to say, I kind of want a little bit of distance from the awards, though. I still want it to have a, a, a patina of Christmas magic to them. Once I start voting, I feel like I'll just become jaded and cynical about them. Mm, that's fair. Okay, well, let's get into the acting categories first. We sure. have um, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series, Donald Glover. Bill Hader, Nicholas Holt, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Jason Sudeikis, because, of course, Ted Lasso is going to be nominated again. Yes. I am psyched to see Martin Short, who I feel like is now going to be coming into his kind of Kennedy Center honors years, where we realize, oh, wait, there really was only one of you over the past 40 years, and we've always liked you. We, we, We treat him with consistent reverence and admiration but really there is truly not a second one of him i mean so i'm sort of happy he's happening i'm very happy he's having this 
uh, renaissance alongside Steve Martin, who I think actually is a good answer for best Oscars host ever. I think he's exactly what you want, the balance between uh, fun, but also cynical in a not overbearing way. Mm, I go with that. I love Martin Short. Oh, my God. Martin Short, I feel like, is was more omnipresent, obviously, you know, when we were younger, um, and then just sort of, like, filtered in and out of guest roles on, like, TV and in film. Like, I don't know, like, in the film, get over it. Yeah, certainly, please. Yeah, yeah uh, you could uh, just expect him at the movies all the time. I mean, wh- whatever, in uh, Father of the Bride, that movie wouldn't be the same without him. And Jungle to Jungle. Jungle to Jungle. Let's just talk about movies I accidentally rented six times because <laughs> it, it's so that weird. movie was so addictive. My yes. sister and I used to watch that movie. I feel like yes, from Blockbuster, like every fucking week. And I don't know why. I don't know what kind of chokehold this movie had on me. But Tim Allen taking in um, a child from I don't know the um, from Venezuela. Um, the chokehold Tim Allen had on us. Remember, there was that time when he had both the number one movie in the country, which was the Santa Claus, the number one TV show, a home improvement, and the number one book in America. What was the book? Uh, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man or whatever his funny book was. I, Tim Allen wrote a book is the headline here, and I uh, am astounded to remember it. You know so much about Tim Allen. What's is this going why you didn't on see with Light- me? Is this why you didn't see Lightyear? Right. Uh, Were I, you protesting? I was, too, yeah. Uh, if <laughs> I was too busy with Tim Allen at January sixth, wherever the fuck we congregate. Anyway, um, uh, if you could still consider Atlanta a comedy series, uh, <laughs> <laughs> instead of just sort of uh, uh, existential um, musings that occasionally airs on TV uh every few years um i guess that's why donald glover's nominated also they didn't have any other black people to nominate <laughs> yeah I'm, it's looking pretty white over there though nicholas holt's up for the great that's very interesting um once again i think my favorite category this year is outstanding lead actress in a limited anthology series because you get tony collette julia garner and inventing anna which we'll be discussing that performance momentarily Lily James and Pam and Tommy, <laughs> Sarah Paulson in Impeachment, which I couldn't sit through, Margaret Qualley in Made. That's a qualified answer. And of course, Amanda Seyfried in The Dropout. Who's going to win that, Amanda? I feel like Amanda. Just has a Sarah Paulson won already? Yes. I mean, she won for People versus OJ. Yeah, Sarah Paulson's won already. Uh, Julia Garner's um, performance in Inventing Anna was um, the fourth worst thing about that. <laughs> yeah, besides kind of just the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I have not seen The Staircase yet, though. Oh, my God. Uh, I really love Colin Firth in it. Tony, I enjoy. I sort of didn't expect to see Tony's head colliding with the wall so many times on this show. So you got to anticipate that. But um, Pam and Tommy, by the way, I guess I don't really love the writing of Pam's character in this. So I'm less inclined to give Lily a a shot. It was just to me, it was more about the circus of them than the accuracy of them as people. So Mm -hmm. though at the same time regarding Julia Garner, maybe we should give her an Emmy because if she really is going to be in this Madonna biopic, um, we need to soften all the trauma we can in the time we have. 
Because <laughs> you know Madonna's sitting around texting her ass, being like, want to hear about how I knew Basquiat and stuff? Mm. Well, okay. I love lead actress in a comedy series because Quinta is nominated for Abbott Elementary, which is the show of the year. Maybe the only new show? Did we have anything else? Um, I mean, Hacks is, is it exactly new again? Here's my problem with the Emmys, too, and with streaming now. I never know what season someone's being nominated for. Right. It feels like uh, there's a lot of stuff here that came out three years ago and things that came out 10 minutes ago. Wow. Sydney Sweeney, by the way, nominated for two different shows. Speaking of shows that came out forever ago, she's up for The White Lotus, and she's also up for Euphoria. And also, I would just like the internet to shut up about her a little bit. I find it drowning out my thoughts. <laughs> The internet does love Sydney Sweeney. Right. No, it's like it, it's like a a, con, a convulsive like we, we fucking love her. She's so cool. It's it, it's like we don't have many cool celebrities anymore. Everybody's too busy being relatable or something. So that's what they're latching on to. I mean, there's a lot going on here for people that I just love, you know? I mean, you've got Hannah and Binder for Hats. You've got Janelle James and Shirley Ralph for Abbott Elementary. Of course. Um, you got Tyler James Williams uh, nominated for Abbott Elementary, and he was never nominated for um, Everybody Hates Chris. So this is um, a very exciting nomination for me. Oh, and speaking of deserved nominations coming in out of the wire... Finally, Rhea Seahorn for Better Call Saul. It was like Twitter's job for three years to get Emmy voters to notice this name, how good she is. Also seems like a rad person. So I'm really excited to see that. Um, I have she- not watched Better Call Saul. And people keep referencing it um, on the new show that I'm writing on. And I'm like, maybe I need to finally just sit down and watch it. Because I did love Breaking Bad. Um, and everything I've heard about Better Call Saul tells me that I would enjoy it. But... I don't know. The process of sitting down to watch a new drama uh, that is multiple seasons is stresses me out in the way that it didn't used to before the pandemic. Oh, well, also, just by the way, it's like if you didn't see the show The Americans or something, it's like, when will I sit down and watch hundreds of hours of really daunting, but, you know, obviously fun entertainment, but it's just... It's it's an extreme time commitment, you know. You just like you you either, you either give up your life to it or you move right along, you know. Uh, I am excited for um, my boyfriend Andrew Garfield to be nominated for Under the Banner of Heaven, even though I have not watched it yet. Uh, another thing that I've heard is great that I need to watch, and I mostly want to watch it because in high school I was a John Krakauer stan. Oh, I definitely had to read into into the thin wild. air into the wild right he did oh, okay. both of those right yeah i never read yeah. into thin air that's the one about everest yeah into thin air was a sign for us um in high school as reading and then after that i read into the wild and under the banner of heaven right it did not inspire me to hike i have to say um uh but also our girl Marsha gay harden nominated for guest actress in the morning show i mean i feel like some people there should be like a coterie of readily available guest actors who have to just like Minutemen launch into a drama series when we need them. And Marsha Gay Harden is one of those. Like if I need somebody to, you know, throw a dossier on a table, it better be fucking Marsha. <laughs> By the way, can I say I got back from uh, Fire Island as you did recently? Is this a MAGA opinion? I prefer Palm Springs. I think I like 
Fire Island more. It's not rela- mugginess is not relaxing. I, nothing about me is begging for the tropics. You know what I'm saying? Something about the ocean, the water, you know, like calms me. And I love the Cherish video by Madonna and the Wicked Game video by Chris Isaac. I understand the power of beaches. Otherwise, no. Plus, as a person who cooks, I like Fire Island because you're like you're cooking. You know, it feels like it feels more family and friend oriented than Palm Springs, which is which is similar. But I feel like it's easier for everyone to just sort of like do their own thing in Palm Springs as opposed to um, at some point in Fire Island. Like everyone does like come together. Right. Yes. Uh, I love the chilliness and not cooking of uh, and I, I meant mental chilliness, physical warmth of um, of Palm Springs, and the not cooking. So, anyway, I won that argument. Plus, high tea, low tea. That's fun. Middle tea, um, Westworld tea, uh, <laughs> Middle Earth, North tea. by Northwest tea. Yes, <laughs> um, tea is so much more enjoyable than. Uh, hey, let's go to Hunters. Eh, I disagree with that. Okay, quickly, back to the nominations. I will say, it just feels this year like there are still only six TV shows in contention. The amount of people nominated for Hacks for Comedy Guest Actress, and it includes Jane Addams, Harriet Sansom Harris, Goddess, Phantom Thread, need we say more, Laurie Metcalf, in, in a role that I don't know Laurie Metcalf needed to do, and Caitlin Olsen. I mean, it's just... And also, like, in Drama Guest Actor... Four succession nominations. Drama Guest Actors, three succession nominations. It feels like we're a little starved for prestige, prestige level things we want to reward right now. Hmm. Yeah. Um, Holy shit, I, by the w- way, the amount of White Lotus nominations, there are five outstanding lead supporting, uh, outstanding supporting actress nominations in limited anthology. It's Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario, Natasha Rothwell, and Sydney Sweeney, all nominated. I can't believe that um, Lucas didn't get nominated for being rimmed on TV. I think he taught the universe so much. Uh, this With this and Fire Island, I believe there's some rimming in that. Is there not? Probably. Yeah. If, if not, it's on the cutting room for, floor and we'll see it on the DVD. Important stuff that America <laughs> needs to know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, when you talk about prestige things, though, I'm just sort of like, whenever you have TV meetings, right? We talked about these a couple of weeks ago with Jenny Slate. Um, you know, the generals you go on and you're always asked, what are you watching? Like, I feel like I used to be watching, like, I'm watching Desperate Housewives. I'm watching Mad Men. You know, it's like I was watching shows. Um, now I'm just like, well, I'm watching Bravo. Yeah. We've also. <laughs> I'm settled- watching Better Call Saul. Yeah. I wonder Ozark. what that is. We've settled into our comfort zone. Yeah. I haven't seen Severance yet. Squid Game I watched. Everyone wants Squid Game. Uh, Euphoria I watched because that is that become like that has become like a Sunday night ritual with friends. Um, Stranger Things. This is the nomination for season three of Stranger Things, which I thought was fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Succession obviously is um, r- runs my life. And I did like Yellow Jacket. So I guess I've seen enough of these, but it doesn't feel like I'm watching enough 
prestige TV. I think what you're responding to is that so much, so many of these, with the exception of things like Yellow Jackets, you end up watching in a big burst or they're released all at once. And so then the conversation about them goes away. Whereas, you know, it used to be with all of these TV shows, you watch them from September through May. And so you were on a journey with these shows. Whereas now you just, you, you, you hammer them all down in one sitting and it feels less you have to recall the moment you were obsessed with them as opposed to continuously living in that moment. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Gerard Carmichael nominated for Saturday Night Live. I think that is a very qualified nomination because his monologue, the way he talked about the Will Smith slap that week, in a way... Was the funniest joke about yeah, the slap. Correct. He, he responded to a moment in a way that I'm sure felt like a pain in the ass at the time. Like, ugh, is this really going to be about this? Like, will people even be talking about the slap three months from now? But he really contextualized that moment and introduced himself to America um, in that moment. I think that was a, a very tough doubleheader. Outstanding competition program is always interesting to me because, like, I watch competition TV, but never most of these i mean i watched drag race and top chef and i think that's about it top chef still going on my god someone is watching lizzo's watch out for the big girls i will not because i don't like how girls are spelled (laughs) yes that's it's giving riot girl it's giving alternative lilithair era uh i assume rupaul's drag race will win again the amazing race i guess that's still on i don't know where the fuck they've been racing during COVID. <laughs> the clinic. <laughs> Stand in line. Racing, racing to the door to get DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the other thing is that I'm just watching comedies a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like Abbott Elementary, Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, um, What We Do in the Shadows, Ted Lasso, which I do still watch. Even as much as I make fun of it, I do still watch Ted Lasso. Mm. I will make one more comment. Uh, host for a reality or competition program. You can't just be nominating all of the Queer Eye guys. Come on. They all say like two lines an episode. Let alone all the people from Shark Tank who are also nominated. That's not really hosting. They're just simply on the show. RuPaul, that I get. Nicole Byer, I get that. And also congrats to Nicole Byer. And Padma Lakshmi, that I understand. Yeah, those are hosts, okay? The others are merely hosting. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Uh, all right. Well, there's our there's our Emmy noms, I guess. When Lewis and I are back, we will be joined by an actress who I would describe as magnifique, mm, classy. Yeah, Isabel Huppert. We'll be right up. Keep it is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. 
I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain Mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. She is one of the greatest actresses working today. And if you are the New York Times, the greatest, uh, you could see her in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. We are thrilled to welcome to Keep It, the iconic Isabelle Huppert. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, it's such a joy to have you here. Um, I think Lewis and I are huge fans of yours, um, and we've talked about you many times on this podcast and your work. Um, this film is really enjoyable, uh, and I just want to know um, what how you felt sort of, you know, working with um, Leslie Manville, working in the world of Dior um, for this film. Well, um, first of all, I read the script, as you can imagine. And uh, then I met Anthony Fabian, the director. And uh, I thought that the, the script was really well uh, written, very good dialogues. I think the dialogues are always the most important when you read a script, because this is really through the dialogues that that's the first connection between the actor and the story. And uh, and it was very witty and, and, and funny and... Uh, and uh, and then I thought the character was really enjoyable because there is a whole branch for the character. She goes from one point to the other because uh, Leslie Manville's uh, character, Mrs. Harris, is really, um, she reveals people to themselves and she reveals certain a certain situation. So she really changes people's lives, including mine, and especially mine, I would say. So for all these reasons, I thought that the script was, as you said, the film is enjoyable. It's a comedy, but there is also a lot of depth to it. Um, uh, it really says something about people's um, lives, in a way, uh, through this uh, story of uh, attraction between this little woman played marvelously by Leslie. And, um, and, and in a way, she, yeah, she's, changes people's lives through her insight. Mm. So that was two reasons to do the film. When I was talking to friends about this movie, I got to use a phrase I never use, which is the adorable new Isabelle Huppert movie. Uh, I was thrilled to get to say those words all together. Um, Good of you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I would personally say there is not much that links all the characters you've played, but certain characters in your history have a tendency to intimidate other characters. And especially in this movie, I think that's true. You have such a pragmatic approach to acting. It feels like you, 
you like all your roles the same or you connect to all your roles sort of the same. Is there any particular pleasure in playing somebody who intimidates other characters? Oh, yes, of course. That's a good, that's, that's a good way to see the character. I think she's, a, yeah, she, she's in this position of being very, with a lot of... Um, power, a lot of uh, authority. Of course, it's a very, very thin power. We can finally find out by the end of the film. But she has a certain position and she's the head of your house. And and, uh, and and we know, we all know how fashion and, and you know, has a, such an influence on women's lives and people's lives. So she really is aware of that situation for her, of that power. But of course, inside she's the reverse of this <laughs> she's she has a lot of reasons to be to be weak and to be much more fragile and and this is how the character becomes really touching by the end of the film and really interesting too but yes it's um i think i think i like to play all sorts of characters you know not not necessarily those who would intimidate intimidate people but also those who would be intimidated by people uh, I think I think a, 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 a strong character, a very powerful character, is in a way intimidating for everybody because of the strength of the emotion, the strength of. In this case, in particular, she has also a certain sense of humor. She's also she's very funny, and um, so yes, it's it's always very nice <laughs> to play this character. <laughs> I have a question about how you prepare for your roles because there was a interesting interview you had in the Financial Times, I believe, with Florian Zeller, director who you're um, mm-hmm. friends with, mm-hmm. uh, and you discuss how you know you were surprised to hear that like Anthony Hopkins, um, and you sort of share the same ideal that your characters I are guess. sort of intuitive to you. They just sort of come to you, and it's not you don't find acting to be a laborious process. So how do you prepare for a film when you get a script then if you don't find that you have to you know torture yourself to get into it no that's not my 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 specialty to be tortured by my work or by by my roles and i remember just reading this interview by anthony hopkins and i thought well i was happy to hear someone in a way daring saying it you know that uh, well i think it's uh the most important um, um, step in, in in working on a role is when you choose it. So in a way, it's before you choose the character, before you choose to do a film, with many, many reasons to do a film, the director, the script, the role, the dialogues. Uh, but once you have made a choice, I think part of the work is is done in a way. And, and, uh, and I think it's all about really trusting cinema, trusting cinema. And by this, I say so many things occur when when you do a film. So many, it's a very collective process and it, it includes uh, so many parameters, the weather, the, 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 of course, the staging and the light and the, the rhythm of also. And um, I trust this and it's really something that you do when you do it. There is not so much to do before. Of course, yes, for instance, when I did The Piano Teacher, 
I, I, I learned, well, I, I knew how to play the piano even before, but I had to work on some specific um, tunes, mm-hmm. very difficult to play. And of course, that's, that was a kind of preparation, but it's more a technical preparation, you know. But tech, to prepare uh, how you are going to actually deliver a performance, how to play a role, <clears throat> it's irrelevant. You, you don't have really to prepare. I've seen you be so gracious to certain directors who've given you uh, uh, wonderful roles in movies over the years. But at the same time, you've also talked about how like Paul Verhoeven, I think Michael Haneke too, they didn't really say much to you. You know, they kind of left you to your own devices. And so I was wondering if you could talk, talk about just what is the director's role and making sure you are great on screen, since it seems like so much of it is just you being present, as you said. Well, the director's role is just to look at you, is to love you, is to, but, and by loving you, I, I really mean being interested by what you do, being uh, surprised by what you do. And uh, I think there is such a connection between act, be, the, uh, delivering a performance and the staging that makes you deliver that performance mm-hmm. to its best. And and the actor is very, very intuitive and has a lot of instinct about this. I mean, at least, at least I have. <laughs> and I know exactly when a staging, when a mise-en-scene is going to fit exactly what kind of emotions I'm supposed to project, what kind of, you know, whether it's a, a, f- a, f- a long distance shot or a close-up. Of course, the more the camera gets closer to, to you, the, the the more you express things in a certain way. And sometimes, in fact, it's very fascinating because sometimes the more the camera gets closer and the more you f- you find exactly the way you have to express things in certain situations. Um, because the camera is like a um, um, microscope, you know. I mean, it can it get it 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 reveals things unsaid or un, unseen, and uh, and it's it's so powerful. It, it's so helpful in a way. It doesn't mean that you have to be filmed as a close up for all the for the the whole film, but in certain cases in certain situations that's exactly uh what allows you to express certain things uh at the most Mm. so yes it's uh um i trust the director and uh and and when you talk about people like michael haneke or paul behoven or and claude chabrol yes yeah actually they never never told me anything but i don't think because Cinema is a language, and so you, it doesn't necessarily go through explanations and through uh, words. It goes through something else, mm-hmm. and it's it's enough, or it's even more, in a way. You have such a um, reverence for film. Um, I've, I remember on online um, a few years ago, um, everyone was sort of obsessed with you discussing how you prefer to see a film, you know, not eating a snack, um, no drinks, just watching and enjoying the film. Um, Because when you hear noises, it's so uh, disturbing. (laughs) Um, What sparked your love for cinema? And what, and you do, and you, um, and I will also say, 
you've done so many films um, for so many years. What continues to make you excited about even going to see other films besides the ones that you're working on? Well, I think it's what makes all movie buffs in the world uh, so excited about watching a film. Well, not everybody likes to watch films. I know people who don't like to watch films and they don't like cinema and, and, and it's fair enough. You know, I'm not interested in myself in every field or in, in every, but as far as I am concerned, yes, I like, I, I love watching films. I love, uh, <clears throat> it's really something um, which touches me. You know, the other day I was I was listening to this very interesting program on the on the French uh, radio, and it said that in a way cinema was <laughs> the art of of um, of ghosts, and I mm. thought it was a really interesting definition for cinema because it's uh, when you if you speak about ghosts, you know, you speak about uh, you know again it, when when you watch a film, it's it's uh, well, like maybe it's the same when you read a, a book, but. I, I, I believe it's not exactly the same. You know, you 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 see people alive on screen, and and it immediately it brings some other people in your back in your souvenir or in your memory. And uh, I thought this connection with ghosts was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> when you uh, your co-star from the movie about Joan Lars Eidegger presented you. Uh, fabulous award at Berlinale. He gave you this awesome speech. Talk, he, he said so many things about you as an actress that I thought rang so true. But one thing he said really shocked me, which was that if you want to get to know Isabel Huppert, watch her movies. And I was wondering <laughs> if you agreed with that. Uh, <clears throat> First of all, yes, I was really touched by uh, Lars's, uh, Lars Eidinger's words and speech uh, it was really really very very touching and and so deep and so such an insight something that he had really thought of and i was really touched by it um yeah yes i know i would say <laughs> like, you know it's like when you, if you read a, a writer's novel or if you watch a, a painter's painting um it's yes, it's about his truth, but it's also about his imagination. And imagination is not necessarily the truth about yourself. Um, I would say yes and no, because sometimes I tend to say um, I have nothing to do with the characters I play. I have nothing to do with obviously with uh, um, Mrs. I don't even know my the name of my character in Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Oh, Claudine. Uh, Col it's almost Col Colbert. Yeah, Claudine <laughs> Colbert. Claudine Colbert. That's yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm getting confused with all my characters. Too many people <laughs> in my head. I'm sorry, and but I have nothing to do with Erica. You know, the piano teacher. I have nothing to do with the woman from L. Uh, they're they're in a way they're stranger to me, but. Um, I managed to, yeah, to, we, we meet at some point. And of course, they are not me, but they are me. Yes. Mm -hmm. anyway. <laughs> but in, 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 a, on, in a very, on a very intimate and secret level, they are me, but not in the most um, um, open definition of the character. 
Mm. No, because I have, I've, no, I have nothing to do with these women. Mm. What I found um, fun about this film, um, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, is that it's set at, you know, the house of Christian Dior. And I remember seeing you in Ralph Simmons's on documentary, um, Dior and I. And I just was wondering if you have like a connection to fashion in general. Are you interested in like fashion and beauty and dresses as much as you are the cinema? Or is it just particularly Dior because it's a French house? Or what's your connection to fashion and costumes, I guess, um, throughout your career? Well, costume is not really uh, uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. A costume in a film is, 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 is not really fashion. As much as fashion is not necessarily clothes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It's, but yeah, fashion is interesting. It 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 says something, but uh, uh, about um, people's. Um, it tells something about the time. Also, uh, you you don't necessarily dress the way fashion uh, shows clothes, but it's like um, imaginary projection from from the designers if you look a fashion on a, a fashion show for example you, you don't necessarily say i want to wear all of these uh, uh clothes but it's um it's it's almost um yeah it's more about their imagination and and by the in a way they say something about you know the the world and uh, about the uh how people imagine they could be dressed but it's not necessarily what because sometimes it's a bit too much but it's always very interesting to watch and very beautiful to to watch and um and to be a bit more uh, simple about this yeah, clothes and fashion and uh, that's exactly what the, the the film says also it it's it's it has something to do with you know, good feeling. How you, how we want to to want to how you want to appear to people. How you the way you be you want to be looked. Sometimes you want to be very invisible. Sometimes to, you want to be very very visible. And everybody uses fashion in a different way. Some sometimes in a very beautiful, but cla- more classic, more more um, not so much uh, visible. And um, but. For it, to, to go back to the film, um, the way that Mrs. Harris dreams about this dress, you know, so it says a lot, you know, for, for her, it's a, it's to be part of the world, it's to be, uh, to be, it's to be, uh, to have a self-assurance about her beauty, about the way she looks. So it says also something, the way she's going to connect to people. Finally, she she's going to go much more beyond this because she's going to take the. Uh, we, we understand that what fashion represents should belong to everybody, not only to a few people. So all of a sudden, she wants to transform a people's behavior in the house of Dior, not only for uh, some wealthy people. It should it should go to everybody, and the, and. And she's a she, she's a, a visionnaire because she she anticipates what's going to become prêt à porter and the, the way that everybody can have access to clothes. So it's it's it's, it's interesting. 
I love looking up interviews of other people, co-stars of yours, talking about watching you work and just how you know seemingly easy it comes to you. I was wondering if you had particular moments on set of watching other actors work and seeing how they perform uh, in a scene and either being in awe or just kind of studying them even for a second. Uh, yes, of course, you are always observing, but without knowing that you observe, because I think when you perform, you are, you are taken in a, in a certain movement, a certain rhythm, but what's, what's his show is, is you never play alone. You always, to, for me to perform is always to perform with someone. And uh, and it's wonderful when you see that everybody is in tune, and especially about the rhythm. I think the rhythm is the most important when you perform, and you you feel exactly uh, w when you have the good rhythm in front of you, when the somebody in front of you responds with the 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 good rhythm. It's like it's it's like uh, in music. It's for me. It's more about the the rhythm that than about the image to acting and performing. Strangely enough, because one would think that it's more uh, connected with the image, or with, but I, I, I don't think it's, that's the case. I think it's more about rhythm. So um, I think it's not so much that I observe other people's performances. It's more that I enjoy someone who has the good rhythm that respond to my to my personal rhythm as well, you know. So it's every everything is, you know, is working together. Mm -hmm. it, it creates a kind of harmony, mm. and it's very, it's very pleasurable. It's very nice because when it's when you hear, it's like if it's not a good rhythm, it's a, it's like a, you know, when you're in music, <laughs> when <you're, laughs> and it's. Disturbing. We've talked a bit about your cinema work, but I want to briefly discuss your work in theater. And I know that you've been in, you know, works that are a bit more um, expressionistic, if I could say, sort of like a Sarah Cade's uh, 448 Psychosis or Jean Genet's The Maids. How do you approach works like that where they aren't necessarily a character and more of um, an expression? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, 448 Psychosis, you take it as an example, and it's a good example of what theater can uh, can do, maybe versus cinema. I think cinema, uh, even if cinema is not necessarily reality, it's, it's more, um, at the end of the day, the actor, uh, even if it's something, you know, uh, imaginary and it, it's a it's an invention uh especially in great films but at the end of the day the, the, the acting is more or less realistic on the contrary in the theater it allows you to create yes something more abstract in a way because theater is more abstract by definition it's a it's abstract to play on the stage and to play in a in a certain time it's 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 a very abstract process and um, so it's possible to 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 deliver a certain in in this case in particular not always but you know in in works with Robert Wilson for example or with Claude mm -hmm. Regis you know like I did in the 448 
all of a sudden, yes, you 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 allow yourself. I mean, or the the staging itself allows you to do something special, special and specific in the acting. Obviously, it's not the way I would act in a film. It's very different, but it's theater. Mm-hmm. And it's more like uh, sometimes uh, when uh, theater uh, makes a abstraction like this, it's more um, like almost a performance. Not a performance in the sense, but like a, you know, you know, you would have a performance in a in a museum, for example. You know, more it's more like this. Uh, I want to talk about the movie L for a second, not just because it's a movie I really can't compare to any other movie, but also in the run up to the Oscars, the fact that we were discussing that movie, it was such an unusual movie for an Oscars race. It was so way more provocative than <laughs> first of all, everything going on that year, let alone most years. And it was such a pleasure seeing you win like the Golden Globe, for example, and you seem really like thrilled to win that too. And I was just wondering, was there any, was it a particular joy to, promote that movie for months at a time? And what what was it like, um, you know, making that kind of splash stateside uh, well, in such a crazy such a, movie? Yeah, it was it was wonderful because it was a little bit unexpected, let's say. And I, I never had doubt about that, the fact that Paul Verhoeven was A, a great director, B, was doing a great film, C, that it was a great role, and D, that I was good in it. I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 but um, of course, we all knew, especially I knew, that we, as very often with Paul Verhoeven, we were on the razor's edge, you know, and and it was easy, especially for the you know the critics to 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 acknowledge that or not, you know, and I, I obviously they acknowledged the film on the good sense of the edge, not on the other. <laughs> not on the other edge. And that was a good surprise. Maybe even more from Americans. <laughs> but, uh, um, but then it was, it was, you know, it started quite early in the process uh, with all the, the critics awards. And we, we, we very, very quickly saw that, yeah, the, the film was well understood, well received, and well understood, and if it was well understood, I think it was because deeply enough people. Well, I'm not saying that there was not some criticism uh, about the film, but I think there was a uh, something in the film that that was um, that in at the end of the day that there was no ambiguity. There was a lot of subtlety. There was a lot of ambiguity, but. It's really, a, it's a revenge film, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, of course, through a strange process, a bit surprising and a bit, uh, but at the end, I, I think that the, the ethic of the film was was saved. Mm-hmm. That's how I explain the acceptance of the film. 
I think we have one last question for you. Uh, and really, you know, I you talked so much about how the roles, you know, you sort of um, just step into them and then you step out of them once it's over. But is there any role um, within your career where you would love to revisit that character? Or you've thought about that character a lot since then. And I'm not just saying that because I would love to see you play Greta again. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny because I love Greta, and recently we exchanged uh, letters with Neil, and we we said that Neil Jordan, and we said that we would love to do something again together. Yes, and and uh, um, no, but I don't think I would I would ever like to revisit a role. Maybe because I never, th- I, I never really think I play roles. Mm-hmm. If it, even if it's, it seems hard to believe, I always think I play states, I play emotions, I play feelings, but I don't really play a role. And 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 certainly, I never feel trapped in a role to the point that I can get rid of it and all of this kind of mm-hmm. little bullshit for me. <laughs> you know, it's a. It's more an experience that I I go through during the film, and um, and it's two different process, you know. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's something to act in a film, and then it's something to be a spectator of the film. It's two different jobs in a way. So once it's done, and 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 uh, I, I think that when you are an actor. You are really through the process of, um, yeah, doing the role. But um, first of all, when it's finished, it's finished, and um, and the the idea that it's a role is more for the spectator than for myself. Me, I just went through states and uh, moments, but I don't feel trapped in the idea of a role because I think that's that would be really yeah, like a burden, you know, that it's a, a role because especially roles like this. Mm-hmm. But it never, that's never the case. So it's always very, diff- very easy for me to get rid of it and to forget about it. Yeah. Mostly. Isabel Hubert, uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all your performances, this one included, but also thank you for scaring <laughs> the shit out of us. It's so rare that we have actors who regularly just like, can bring it and bring it and bring it again and shock us so many times. So thanks for yes. everything. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Yeah, merci. Have a great day. talking to you. When it comes to scents, you should pick ones that smell like, well, you. Target gets it which is why they offer a range of personal care products with fragrances for everyone. Be true to floral you with Dove Peony and Rose Body Wash. Live your fresh life with Degree Ultra Clear Deodorant. Express your decadent side with Love Beauty and Planet Coconut Shampoo. This spring, choose care that brings you joy beyond labels. Pick up new favorites at a Target near you or online at Target.com. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it's Keep It. Lewis, mm-hmm. 
What are you angry about this week? Oh, God. You know me and my wrath. Um, you know, gay pride is over. Gay wrath begins. I'm just going to repeat that joke we've seen on Twitter 700,000 times. Anyway, um, <laughs> my keep it this week is to Mickey Rourke, but maybe not for the reason you're expecting. First of all, he just made a couple of headlines the other day because he said he thinks Tom Cruise doesn't challenge himself as an actor and therefore he's not relevant to him. Here's my problem with the situation. He said this on fucking Piers Morgan. Turn down invitations, people. Please do not <laughs> say things that will garner headlines to Piers Morgan because then he's in the news and he pops up like that fucking dog from Duck Hunt every once in a while <laughs> <laughs> holding the neck of some chicken he you know snatched from the sky how uh, unserious are you to be on Piers Morgan in the first place like I can't take anything you're saying seriously no like, you're, you're exactly. critiquing Tom Cruise but you're on Piers Morgan and also by the way Pierce Morgan is looking at you like you're crazy when you're saying this as well. No, right. By the way, it takes 0.5 seconds of homework to realize, oh, don't talk to Pierce Morgan. Sorry. Um, <laughs> remember that one time Ariana Grande had to meet him? Like he walked up to her at a restaurant and then she had to be civil about it. Anyway, I'm still sick. Anyway, what I want to say about Mickey Rourke referencing the career of Tom Cruise. It is a little bit true. When is the last time Tom Cruise really did something that wasn't like, a role he could have played in his mid thirties. You know, I think the last interesting call he made was maybe the movie rock of ages, which was set up to give him an interesting role. But other than that, you know, are we talking about Tropic Thunder? Or are we talking about probably Magnolia is the last time he really gave us something that made you think about Tom Cruise. You know what? <laughs> You're crying. Listen, Go ahead. Bitch. <laughs> this bait Listen, and switch. Bitch. This bait and switch. I thought I thought that you were going to reveal yourself as a member of the Tom Cruise Hive. It's called or, Scientology. Go ahead. Mm, I like to I like to refer to us as Tom Clears. All right. Okay. <laughs> I would Elizabeth argue, Mossies. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue that he challenged himself. Okay. Um by, to um, a sham saying, marriage with Nazanin Boniati? Go ahead. No. <laughs> <laughs> he challenged himself by uttering any of the dialogue that was um, written probably by a computer algorithm for The Mummy, for one. Oh, true. Right. We put him in The Mummy. Remember that? Yeah, that dark universe thing. I want to say that it's as big of a Tom Cruise stan as I am, as I've said on this show. I have not seen The Mummy all the way through. The new I mummy. did not watch it. it didn't, the new mummy. I did not watch it when it came out because I was like, I'm not doing this. No. And then it was on a recent Delta flight. And I tried to sit through it and I fell asleep 20 minutes in. And when I woke up, mummy shit was happening. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick to the Brendan Frasers um, and the um, Raquel wises that i'm used to okay so, wise. Uh, rachel, rachel vice is the english rachel pronunciation <laughs> moving on yeah. did i call it miss rocco vice miss <laughs> <laughs> raquel vice uh don't let me present at an award show no i'm worried for you no one day you're going to be asked to present emmy nominations and you're going to be just you're, you're going to tiffany haddish it to death <laughs> Sidney Sweeney, Sweeney. Listen, I, I will, I will sort of agree. He's sort of, he's sort of, um, 
It's not really about molded garnering... himself into action star. Yeah, uh, right. and he challenges himself physically. You know, um, he in the way that the that show aspect. Fear Factor used to. Correct. Right. <laughs> um, I would say that American Made is a very underrated Tom Cruise film, mm-hmm. um, but it is kind of the role he would play in his 30s, but I will give him points because the role is supposed to be older. I don't know how old Ethan Hunt is supposed to be in Mission Impossible anymore. You're right. He is sort of just ageless and lightly windswept. Bond, right? Yeah. Like uh-huh. It's just like, don't ask his age. I remember recently, by the way, I learned how old Daniel Craig was when he started Bond, and it was like... 35 or something woof the years just fly by now he's one of these you know mount rushmore looking you know people Mm. um collateral i mean that's now what 2004 yeah yeah it's 2004 but you know i would say he has done it but i would i would agree i guess that he more is interested in like the sort of physical challenge of movies maybe because you know he tortures himself in films now because he knows where shelly is right he can't reveal it. <laughs> Shelly jokes, unfortunately, funny. Like it, 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 it's like a certain <laughs> brand of. I, I can't explain why. I'm sure what's happened to her is tragic. I don't know what happened, but um, it is pretty grim. Can I say something about the movie Collateral? A friend of mine asked me the other day a question that is built for me, and yet I can't confirm it one way or the other. Is Jamie Foxx the only Oscar winner who went on to host a game show? I believe. I believe. The answer is yes. I can't, you would think by this, I mean, for instance, no, I can't think of any Olympia Dukakis game shows right now, but there must be somebody I'm forgetting. And I just can't think of who it is. Oh, that is interesting. I can't think of one either. I mean, there's just not that many game shows anymore either. I feel like if, if the answer is true, it's something that would have existed in the 80s or 90s and maybe somebody who won in a song category or something. But at any rate, I'm throwing it out there for the internet to deduce. You know what? I would watch a Jodie Foster game show in an instant. That would be fun. Or like Tilda Swinton's Game of Games. Yeah, but but Jodie Foster's game show is that you ask her questions and you try to get her to answer anything. <laughs> 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 She's like, I'm very proud to have a ski buddy who is maybe a woman sometimes. <laughs> Ira, what is your keep it this week? My keep it uh, goes to this weird phenomenon that um, light-skinned pop stars have. Hmm. Uh, uh, this affinity for texting the cast of Stranger Things. Oh my God, the warning signs are there. Don't do it. We all remember when Millie Bobby Brown revealed that, like, she texts with Drake sometimes. And I was like, what? And that, of course, set off the internet once they learned the definition of the word grooming. Sure. Which is now the only word they know. And honestly, I'll never forgive Millie Bobby Brown for that. She can run over as many fags in a car as she wants. I'll never forgive her for introducing the internet to the word grooming. Also... I'm sorry. Jokes about Millie Bobby Brown being homophobic are funny. I can't. I Again, scientifically, I don't know how this is possible. But every time somebody references, oh, you know, I was at Pride. And of course, Millie hit me with the car. It's so funny. We just made it up randomly about her. We threw this at her. I'm sure it was traumatizing for her. And yet the laughs we have and have. And honestly, one day she'll be like on SNL or some other show and like reference it. And it'll be the funniest thing you've ever seen. Yeah, apparently she's really good on this season of Stranger Things. I don't watch that show, but... But now we've got 
Doja Cat texting a minor in the cast of Stranger Things. She sent a text to Noah Schapp um, to ask about his co-star, Joseph Quinn, who she was into. I have a lot of questions here. One, Joseph Cat is one of the biggest fucking pop stars in the world right now. True. Why would you need to DM a cast member on Instagram of Joseph Quinn's and ask, yo, is he single? How about you just DM him yourself? It does feel You're like Doja that would be Cat. the mo- Yeah, it would be the more obvious move. Yeah. I'm not reaching out to Winona to ask these questions. Although more people should reach out to Winona. <laughs> You're concerned. Does she have friends? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's just Mark Jacob. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> she stole that shit. She stole some Mark Jacobs from Nordstrom years ago. And I feel like now she's just doomed to be in a Mark Jacobs campaign for the rest of her life. Mm. Yeah. What if she wants to be free? Up. Okay. Now the question is what, what if she wants to do Jean Paul Gaultier? Okay. What if she wants to do Maison Valentino? She can't. Also, you've Mark seen Mr. Jacobs. You've seen too much Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. It needs to be said. <laughs> the all. Uh, let's see. Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder goes. Winona Ryder goes to the West Village. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Mark Jacobs has her. Um, but anyway, getting back to Doja Cat, you are an insane star, and, like, and, why and a known just... cool person. Like everybody would yeah. want to know you. And what made matters worse, actually, wasn't the fact that she even just DM'd him, because it's a stupid thing, but, you know, it's it's not even extre- as extreme as, like, um, Drake and Millie being pen pals, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the weird part was then she went on Instagram Live and started beef with him because Noah Schapp, um, the, you know, the... Um, 17-year-old that she DM'd uh, about his co-star shared uh, the DMs online. Now, that was a weird move on his part, I think. But also... He's a teenager. It was weird that she... Yeah, she reached out to him, and I guess he is technically a teenager. So, never mind. I don't know what the correct response to that is. I mean, I, as a teenager, also would share dms from doja cat if she sent them to me i think about this all the time by the way i can't believe i didn't have an answer ready but uh yeah you're right i guess i would probably share that too i mean i told everyone when azalea banks dm me that um podcast with a broke is former media <laughs> she's still working on her sophomore album <laughs> um but anyway the idea that this all snowballed into her beefing with the 17 year old star of stranger things is so surreal to me yeah and i have the feeling joseph quinn is not super hot for her anymore if he ever was like oh you messaged him and now you started all this maybe i'll step away yeah that would turn me off <laughs> if i'm talking about how hot i would be after someone starting some nonsense it would be at about a one <laughs> I mean, and listen, usually when someone want to be starting something, I'm all for it. Oh, sure. Me and Quincy Jones. Yeah. <laughs> um, this also brings me to a thing I've often wondered. And I can't remember what celebrity talked about this once, but like some celebrities do that thing of like, if they're into another celebrity, do they like go through like an intermediary or like ask someone to like pass something along to them. But I'm just sort of like, if I'm Julia Roberts, you know, and you're Chris Christopherson and you want to fuck, <laughs> like, 
And it's always those two. (laughs) Always those two. Just be like, hey, yo, you want to fuck? Like, I I just... um, I think the deal is the rest of their lives are also handled through intermediaries. So they just mm -hmm. feel like this is an extension of that. You know, like, I don't understand my taxes. Let me talk to Chris. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels weird being like one of the biggest celebrities in the world uh, and having to be like, will you ask this person if they're into me or will you find out if this person's single? I mean, just do it. Right. Well, it kind of reminds me of that famous story of Nicole Kidman through a friend of Jimmy Fallon's tried going over to his place and like hanging out because she was interested in him. But then he never even gathered that she was interested in him. And I think that's the reason because there's an intermediary. And so these people are like, well, this is obviously a huge star. They can't possibly be interested in me, you know. Nicole Kidman tried to get piped by Jimmy Fallon. Don't you remember this? I do not remember this. Yeah, you do. Jimmy (laughs) Fallon had her on The Tonight Show, and they talked about how they had met at his, like, grungy apartment when he was on SNL. And he and she was like, oh, I was into you. I was trying to flirt with you. And he, like, fell out, and it was a huge viral moment. I think I had forgotten about that completely. Oh, my God. Your popper's abuse is clearly out of control because it was huge. (laughs) Well, you know what Lena Dunham says happens when you do poppers, okay? You get so hungry. And you eat a whole cake. (laughs) Good guess, Lena. Um, Wow. Yeah, you you look look it up. Nicole Kidman, we need to talk. It, It concerned me at the time and still does. Was he like... Super hot then. Were we oh, into sure. Jimmy Fallon sure. then? Yeah, the fever pitch era, definitely. You know what? I'm I'm doing revisionist history. Yeah. I'm thinking about current Jimmy Fallon and like the like post-Trump Jimmy Fallon uh, tussling his hair, like that shit. Like I'm forgetting that SNL era Jimmy Fallon was sexy. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. And he was on Weekend Update and all that. Right. Okay. Okay. Wow. That still would have been weird, but also I'm always just fascinated when I find out about random celebrities that have hooked up with each other. Because you have to imagine, like, so many of them have, and we just don't know about it. No, exactly. Which, it's every once in a while, you get, like, uh, a new book about old Hollywood hookups, and it feels like everybody hooked up. But then you realize, oh, that's just what I'm sure being a celebrity is. Why wouldn't you be hooking up with each other? I think you're probably starved for um, simpatico people, you know? So, in general... You're probably gonna end up hooking up with other celebrities. I feel like we, I feel like we as gays probably just uniquely relate to it, if only totally. because you know how small and interconnected the gay world is. Where it's like you'll be on Fire Island and you'll like see one of your friends talking to someone at a bar, and you'll be like, "How do these two even know each other?" And it's like we were both in like D.C. four years ago and we hooked up. Right. It's hard not to meet each other. I feel like that's the same way about celebrities. They're just so grouped together as a species all the time and gays are similar. Wow, I should write this essay. How fucking horny must the Oscars be? Yeah, you think? Unless, of course, you're Leslie Manville the year that Gary Oldman was nominated and he won and you didn't and he left you for Uma Thurman. I'm sorry I think about that night all the time. (laughs) I forgot about that one. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need like a whole episode, like a deep dive into this kind of shit. Uh, just into the sex life of Gary Oldman, to be honest, which is a, a strange rabbit hole that somebody who isn't me has time for. All right. Well, that's our show this week. <laughs> um, thank you to Isabel Huppert for um, humoring us. Yeah. And, and being fantastic. 
I mean, as I said to her, there are few things you can count on in this life, but her bringing it every movie is one of them. So thank you to her. As Mickey Rourke would say, Tom Cruise plays roles and Isabel Huppert plays stakes. There it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> she killed it with that. I just want to say, by the way, that the only thing I'm guilty of is being shamazing. Isn't it funny to hear that come out of my mouth? <laughs> We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.